Okay, let's get started here. A lot to talk about this week. Um, in the Parsha, as well as... Uh, I have some stories to tell you from my own life. Things that this, this week is a very special week for me. And also, we have Shavuot coming up. So there's a lot going on right now we're going to talk about today. So this week's Parsha is Parashat Bamidbar. We are going to speak about the counts. Mayor here. We're going to speak about... Hey, put it aside for you. You sure you don't want to take some? We don't force food. Um, we're going to talk about counting. Now, counting in general, it's very boring. It seems very boring. I, I listened to the class that we said in Bamidbar last year, and I'm listening, and I'm hearing Matan, and I'm hearing David, and I'm hearing Shlomo, everybody piping up, adding, you know, I could hear your voice is a little quieter, so it's harder to hear in the recording, but you hear the... <laughs> I could hear, and it's amazing because it like, brings back the memories of that topic that we discussed. And it's a wonderful thing. Anyways, so let's get started here. We're going to discuss today a very important topic. This is a specifically important topic when it comes to dealing with young people. But, meaning when, when I say young people, I mean students, children. Very important topic. Um, I know that I've seen this apply many times in dealing with students in the high school here. And uh, my own children are a little young, but it's um, something I think we could all take some lesson from, and there's a lot to be learned as well. Rashi in the beginning of Bamidbar, before we even, before we even see the Parashah, let's just speak out, what does is, what is the Parashah talk about? This Rashi is going to be we're going to focus in on. Parashat Bamidbar is the fourth Sefer. Right. It's the fourth Sefer. It's the fourth part of the Torah. And if you read through it, Unless numbers interest you, it might not interest you very much at face value. We're going to see that there's tremendous amount to be learned from this storyline, though. So let's just quickly discuss briefly what goes on in this parasha. After Vayikra, we talked all about Korbanot and the Mishkan and all of that. Now we're talking about the travel of the Jews through the desert. How the Jews travel through the desert. So the Psukim start off and tell us, Hashem commands Moshe Rabbeinu, on the first day of Iyar, the second, which is the second month of the Jewish calendar, in the second year from leaving Mitzrayim. The second year from leaving Mitzrayim. Just, I want to put this into perspective where we're holding in terms of this tzivoy, this command. We know that the Jews got to Har Sinai. What day was it? It's coming up, Shavuot. What was it? Sivan. When did they get to Sinai? Rosh Chodesh Sivan. Rosh Chodesh Sivan. Rosh Chodesh Sivan, they arrive at Sinai. The Torah is only given six days later. But they arrive at Sinai, Aleph Sivan. They stay at Sinai for a year minus ten days. One year minus ten days. Now if you add a year minus ten days to Aleph Sivan, what is that going to take you? From the first year leaving Egypt to the second year. And what day is it that they left the mountain? They left Har Sinai. It was the 20th day of Iyar. Er Sivan. So minus 10 days. A full year would have been they left Sivan the second year. No, they left the 20th day of Er the second year. They're there almost a full year. Now the plan, what was the plan, by the way? After leaving Sinai, Har Sinai, to go straight into Eretz Yisrael. It was supposed to be three-day travel, get to the land, and go right in. What did they do instead? They stopped at the border, and then they decided instead of 
sending in. Instead of just traveling in and conquering the land, first we want to send spies. So they sent Miraglim, who went for 40 days, and after 40 days they come back, and not only do they not say positive things, they start with some positive things, and then they start saying all kinds of Lashon Hara. Because of that, when, when is it they came back? Erev Tisha B'Av. That day became the day of national suffering for all of millennia, and in the immediate 38 more years they wandered through the desert, only going into Israel 40, at the 40, 40th year from leaving Egypt. So really it was supposed to be Three days after leaving Sinai, which would be in 20 days from now, from this story, they would have gone three days travel into, into Eretz Yisrael, but they didn't, they, they failed, and that was that. This is the first of ER. So we're talking about 19 days before they left Har Sinai. So Hashem comes to Moshe, and Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, I want you, along with the Nesim, who are the Nesim? The leaders of each tribe, the princes. Each tribe had a Nasi. I want you to count the Jewish people, and then gather the total number. Oh, doctor, can we put a, a plate for you over here? Yosef, put it aside for you. And you can add, put, put more, please. Just I. Um, I want you to count the Jewish people along with the Nesim, the, the leaders of each tribe. The Psukim tell us <coughs> the count for each individual tribe. It goes through Uven, Shimon, Gad, Yehuda. How much were in each tribe? It's roughly between 30 and 70,000 per tribe. And then at the end of it, it tells us when you put it all together, how much was the entire Jewish nation together? 603,550. So it's almost 600,000, just a little bit more. Okay. Then the Psukim go on to discuss the Digalim. Anybody know what Digalim, Degel? In Hebrew, Degel is a flag. But well, that's not what it means over here in this context. Here, Degalim refers to the combination of tribes in encampments. What do I mean by that? How did they camp when they were traveling through the desert? So the way they encamped was, you have 12 tribes, right? 12 tribes. And if you split 12 by 4, that means 3. So there's 3 tribes per group. Each of these groups was on one side of the Mishkan. The quarters? The quarters, exactly. So you had a group of three tribes. I'll give you the first one. Yehuda with Yisachar and Zivulun. They were the tribe that was on the... Uh, where does it say here? They were on the... Where is it? Um, where is it here? Oh. Anybody remember? Where was it? Uh, ah, east, east. They were on the eastern side of the Mishkan. And the Psukim go through how there were these groups of three tribes on each side. Now look at this. This is something that's strange. The Psukim tell us, what was the total number of each of these groups, i.e. add three tribes together, and what's the total number? And it goes through each of the four groups and tells us the total number. Meaning, if you add Yehuda, Yisachar, and Zvulun together, what's the total number? And then at the end, again, it reiterates 603,000 total, 550. A lot of counting here that seems unnecessary. I'm just pointing that out. The Psukim then go on to discuss the Levim. They're counted separately because they're considered Hashem's people. And as such, they deserve to be counted separately. They also lived separately. They lived closer to the Mishkan, not out in the outskirts like the rest of the tribes. And uh, so can talk about, continue to talk about the redeeming of the firstborns. Fine, that's basically the entirety of the parasha. Now, <clears throat> now let's go to the Rashi. Comes Rashi, 
And Rashi tells us, this is not the first time the Torah records account of the Jewish people. So what was the first time the Torah records account of the Jewish people? So if you look back in Sefer Shemot, in Parashat Bo, following Yitziat Mitzrayim, Yitziat Mitzrayim is leaving Egypt. When they left Egypt, the Torah tells us, it's a Perak Yud Bet, Pasuk Lamed Zayin. It says, It says, The Jewish people traveled from Ramses to Sukkot. 600,000 adults, men. It says there's 600,000 adult men. That's the first time it counts them. Second time, which Rashi brings down over here, is Parashat Kitisa. In Parashat Kitisa, after the Egel Azahav, Many Jews died. 3,000 Jews died. After those Jews died, there was a second time the Torah recounts the Jewish people. And Rashi explains the reason for that second count was to know how many Jews remained after Jews had died out. So we have count after Yetziat Mitzrayim leaving Egypt, count after Jews died at the Egel Azahav, the golden calf. And now we have a third count. Well, when did this third count occur? This is after Hakamata Mishkan. After putting up the Mishkan, which was an Aleph Nisan, 30 days later, there was a third count, which is this count in Bamidbar, and the Jews were counted again in detail of each tribe, as well as everyone together, 603,550. Okay, beautiful. That's what Rashi says over here. Now, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, who was a tzaddik of the past generation, he points out something. He points out something very interesting. <clears throat> if you're listening... So you've seen already, I'm going to add on to what he's saying also. So you've already seen that there is a big difference between the way the Jews are counted in Sefer Shemot and the way that they're counted in Sefer Bamidbar. In Sefer Shemot, how does it list the count of the Jewish people? 600,000. Meaning it's the overall number of the Jewish people. Right? That's all it is. What do we do over here in Parashat Sefer Bamidbar? We have the individual count of the tribes, meaning each tribe, how many people are in each tribe. And then we have all of those tribes put together, what's the total count of all of the people? It's before and after we received the Torah. This is in Bamidbar. This is in Bamidbar. It is before and after that we received the Torah. No, the Torah is before. We see the Torah before. So in Sefer Shmot, one second. So in Sefer Shmot, the count is in the total sense. 600,000 people. That's it. There's no individual Shvatim. 600,000 people. In Sefer Bamidbar, we have the count of each Shevet by itself, and then add it together to the total count, which is 603,550. Now I want to add another thing. Also what it tells us over here, which seems completely unnecessary, is that it tells us when you have the Degalim, which are these groups of three. The reason they're called Degalim, by the way, is because they were marked with special flags. There were special flags that marked, this is Yehuda Yisachar and Zevulun's territory. There were colors on the flags, and the colors were the same color as the stone on the Choshen that the Kohen Gadol wore on his chest. There were colors that represented each tribe. So it goes through the numbers again. Well, how many are in the tribes of Yehuda Yisachar and Zevulun? And then at the end of telling us the numbers of each one, it tells us the total number. So the question that Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky points out, why would it be that Sefer Shemot only tells us the general number of the Jewish people, 600,000. And in Sefer Bamidbar, after the Mishkan is put up, then the Torah goes to the details. It talks about how many are per tribe, how many are per de- degel, how many are in each group. And then it also tells us the total number. Here it's so much more particular. Why does the Torah shift? 
Now, I want to add a little bit to the question. Logically, when do you count in a more particular detail? In the beginning. The Jews leave Mitzrayim. You need to count them up. Do a thorough job of it. How do you do a good job of it? Count up the tribes, and then after the tribes are counted up, count up the entirety of the nation. But that's not what the Torah does. The Torah first gives us the total number back in Sefer Shemot, which is more than a year before this count. And now it tells us the individual tribes' numbers, the total altogether, the degalim with the total. Why does it change from before the Mishkan is put up, the overall number, to after the Mishkan is put up, the details as well as the overall number? Everybody understand the question? Of Yaakov Kamenetsky's question. There is a very big uh, difference. No, so what do you say? We receive one before they receive the Torah, and one is after that we've got the Torah. That's true. So, so there is a, a huge difference. So what's the difference? You got the Torah. Each one of us is basically have completely effect on on all the nation, and the nation have an effect on him. Once they are like in such a low level, they are just basically one entity. It's like Batel Beshishim, their their good deeds and when the bad deeds. When were they on a low level? Before they received the Torah. So they what? got to 49. So what? So what? Why, why not count the individual Shvatim beforehand? To show you what's the power of each one of us. Oh, so why is that only after receiving the Torah? Because we're not powerful without, without Torah. No. Why they, not? Why not? Yeah. Because with Torah, there is no, there is a direction, there is a guideline. And without the Torah, okay, you saw what they reached to. Okay, I hear what you're saying. Okay, I remember something reading something that said that when you love something, you you tend to count it right. uh, with says. more right with more Rashi emphasis. Says, so like it, says that's why people count their money. <clears throat> um, so maybe you know, like he said, maybe in the beginning, you know, we were one thing, but then after giving of the Torah, we were elevated to something oh. higher. And then Hashem loves that more, so now we count in more detail. Okay, I, that's like that. good. I hear that. That's good. That's based on Rashi. Rashi says because God loves us, He counts us all the time. That's what Rashi says. So you're saying more, more along the same lines is that because He loves us more because He gave us the Torah, now He wants to count us in even more detail. That's what you're suggesting. I hear that's an interesting idea. So I'm going to work on a little similar approach, but let's see how we go here. There's a very interesting thing that I just want to point out also. You see very... The Torah here uses two different words to describe counting. One word used to describe counting is se'uet rosh. Now what does se'uet rosh mean? Literally it means lift their head. That's what it means literally. Lift their head. Kitisa. Like kitisa, when you count. Lifting their head is a language used for counting. The other word used for counting is kitifkod. When you count. Now kitifkod also means counting. So that's in that context, it doesn't mean count, it means you remember. But here, both words are used in the context of counting. Se'uet rosh, lifting their heads, that's a form of counting, or using a, a terminology used for counting. And there's another terminology used for counting, which is tifkod, pekida. When you count. Rashi says the word pekod has another interpretation, which is appointing somebody over a certain job. Rashi says, if you look in Perik Aleph Pasuk Nun, it's an appointment. A count can also be an appointment, Rashi says. And Lashon of Pekida. Siraral Davar, when you appoint somebody over something, that he is commanded over, minyan, even the word minyan. Minyan could be a count or it's a minui. It's an appointment. 
He's charged with a mission, with a job. Very interesting. The Torah uses two terminologies, and obviously it's not random, but they both mean something slightly, slightly different. What? Oh. So what's the difference between these two terminologies? Se'uet rosh, lifting the head is considered counting, and hafked is to count, which means to appoint to a mission. That's really what it means. Point. Count, appoint. It's a similar word. It's very interesting. So also that's another thing we're going to try to explain a little bit. These different terminologies for the same idea of counting, obviously they're not random. <clears throat> so I want to share with you an idea. I find that this idea is very applicable when it comes specifically to dealing with teenagers. Baruch Hashem, we have two teenagers at the table. But, uh, but these guys are wonderful. These guys have no problems. Uh, uh, Mayor Mendy, thank you for coming. Um, when dealing with teenagers, there's a phenomenon that you find, and this is, this is psycho psychology 101, adolescent psychology 101. This is like basic dealing with teenagers. A fascinating concept that you find just because people do things, it doesn't mean it's logical. Or very often we do things that are totally illogical. But if we're doing them, there's probably something driving us. We're looking for. We're seeking. It doesn't mean it's logical. I mean, it doesn't mean it could be emotional. It could be there's different factors driving our behaviors. But there's something that we need to absorb from that. When we deal with teenagers, I want to just illustrate a certain phenomena. A certain phenomena, and I think that as we go through... The Torah is teaching us something over here that's beautiful that explains how to deal with this phenomenon. Adolescent psychology states the following. This is just a, it's a, it's a reality. I mean, you don't even need to know psychology. This is basic. You find, when it comes to teenagers, also adults, by the way, some people don't grow out of that stage, that there is this one force pushing people to want to fit in. Want to fit in, right? You want to be part of the group. You want to be accepted as part of the group, so you try to fit in. You'll wear certain clothes. And you see these kids, they wear the Supreme, and they wear the Nike, and they wear the, uh, no longer the Kanye West, the face, and they're saying, hey, a little bit of this, a little... Why? Because the guy on YouTube is wearing that, or whatever, because the, the athlete is wearing that. So therefore, that's something that's considered socially accepted right now. I'm going to do whatever I can to fit into the overall group, which makes sense. It gives me a sense of acceptance, of belonging to something or someone. Makes sense. But at the same time, you have a different reality that seems to go directly against that, which is they also want to stand out. At the same time that they want to fit in, they also want to stand out. So then, they do certain things, perhaps. They act in certain ways or wear certain things. Sometimes you find teenagers, again, with adults too, but predominantly this is an adolescent thing. They'll do certain things in order to stand out. So you go over to the kid and you say, wait a second, you're doing certain things because you want to fit in. But at the same time, you're acting in a certain way because you want to stand out. You want to look like something unique. So which one is it? Which one do you really want? So what's the approach in dealing with this reality? I'm not saying necessarily in a bad behavior, by the way. I'm not saying negative behaviors. I'm just saying in general. At the same time, teenagers, the reason I say adults is because adults do the same exact thing. It's just, this is more attributed to adolescent behaviors. That's why you want to fit in. You want to be part of the group. And at the same time, you want to be a unique individual appreciated for what you are. Today, it's all about self-expression. Everything's about self-expression. What makes me special, it makes me special and everyone has to know about it. <laughs> and therefore, I'm going to shout it in your face till you accept it, whether it makes sense or not. So what makes me unique, but at the same time, what I want to fit in. So which one is it? What do you really want? What are you really looking for? It depends. No, so what do you say? We're saying in acts of right? True. Which is a good jealousy. Yeah. Because let's say I'm looking on Rabbi Schiffman, 
that I wish I had at least half of what he knowledgeable with. Okay. On the other hand, you can take an example from any athlete or people that in the social media, for example, and yeah. say, I want to be like them, to look like them, to act like them. Mm-hmm. And just think this is the perfect uh, lifestyle that you have. Mm-hmm. So this is a bad example. Mm-hmm. So it depends what is your influence, where does it come from, what is your environment, who is your uh, people that surround you, the, the, the inspiration that you get from. So this is, it's, it's very, it's, you know, it, it depends for, for each case. Mm-hmm. It's very specifically cases for each person. So you cannot really say like, you know, it's to get an example. It depends from who you're getting the example, mm-hmm. right? 100%. Rabbi Sova said once, why we count? He say, in Hallelujah, it say in the Pesukot de Zimra, Monem Mispar Lakochavim Lecholam Shemot Ikra. Oh, I was going to say this, beautiful, in Tehillim, yeah. Monem Mispar Lakochavim Lecholam Shemot Ikra. And each individual star ah. have his own number and his own name. Beautiful, beautiful. Also, same thing. Stealing my whole style. speech, man. <laughs> so the shot is this is Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky says a beautiful idea and it answers this whole topic in a beautiful way. This idea of counting. What do you mean being counted? What's the big deal being counted? So it explains like this. There's two types of counts that the Torah is essentially saying. We have the general count, 600,000 or 603,000. It's a slight difference, but it's the same idea in overall count. And we have the individual counts. We have the numbers of each tribe. We have the numbers of each degel. Those are more particular type counts. We have the fact that each Jew is listed by his father's house. These are more particular type laws, more particular type considerations. So Yaakov Kamenetsky explains that the idea is as follows. In counting the individual tribes, you're essentially showing that what makes, what, what, what you are unique, regarding whatever it is that you are unique, that is what's special. Right? You are special because you possess something, being from Shevet Reuven, makes something special that Shevet Shimon didn't necessarily have, or Shevet Levi didn't necessarily have. Counting the individual tribes highlights the uniqueness of the individual. Counting the overall Jewish people highlights how all of the Jews belong to the overall nation. These are the two elements here, obviously. Counting the individual tribes highlights how every Jew and tribe has their individual abilities and uniquenesses and capacities to add. Counting the overall nation, the Jewish people, 600,000, highlights the fact that everybody belongs within that nation. We're all a number that belongs within that nation. So the pasuk that Matan just quoted actually highlights this very nicely. But the way of Yaakov Kamenetsky explains is as follows. Before the Mishkan was put up, the Jews were counted. At that point, you can't count the individual tribes. Because what does the Mishkan represent, essentially? The Mishkan represents that there's one house of God that we all serve towards. We pray towards one God, and that's our overall service focused on the same mission, the same end point. If before the Mishkan is put up, we start counting the individual tribes, so what could quickly happen is the idea of factionalism. You start counting Reuven, and Reuven, you start showing the uniqueness of Reuven, the uniqueness of Shimon, and what could quickly happen? We're not all yet focused on the same tafkid, the same 
focal point, quickly what could happen is Reuven could decide, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm not really so into this Jewish nation. I'm happy to go and, uh, I don't know, maybe I'll live in Palestine. Maybe I'll live in Iran. I'm not sure exactly. I'll do whatever I want to do. I'll do that. I'll run my life how I feel fit. It's only after the Mishkan is built and the Jews have already been counted in the overall sense which is to show that they're all part of the same nation with the same focus on serving Hashem in the Mishkan, after we've already established that, that's step number one, then we go back and we say, by the way, within this overall picture of service of Hashem that is established through counting everyone, through building the Mishkan, you have a special part, Shevet Reuven, you have a special part, Shevet Shimon, because Reuven has certain abilities, Shimon has certain abilities, Levi has certain abilities, but first, what do you need to establish? First, there's the fact that we're all part of the same nation with the same focus on serving Hashem. There's something called Avodah Shalema, total service of Hashem, and that can only be accomplished with all of the parts that are included in the entirety of the nation. Once we've established that, says Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, then we can focus in on what is unique to Reuven. Let's count them. Let's talk about what makes them unique. Their Degel. Let's talk about what's unique about Yehuda, Shimon, every Shevet. Let's talk about the uniqueness of the individual, how they fit within the overall plan of the service of Hashem. Everybody clear so far? You take a satellite picture and then you go and zoom in. Exactly. So therefore, what the Torah is teaching us is the first step is that we have to understand we're part of the overall perspective, the overall Jewish people who are focused on the total service of Hashem as a unit, as a total, as a sum, everyone together. After we understand that with a clarity, we understand that very clearly, well then we could start to focus in on, well what makes me unique and special that I can contribute to that overall service of God that's so important. So that's what the Torah is doing here as well. In Sefer Shemot, the Torah tells us, the Jews leave Egypt after Egel Azahav. You have to know you're part of an overall nation. You belong here. God loves us and He's counting us as a total sum to show how much He loves us and cares for us because we're part of His nation. We're lucky enough to be part of those that get to serve Hashem as the Jewish people. But once you understand that, the Mishkan is put up and there's a focus on the overall mission of the Jewish nation, after that we're able to understand, well, what is it that makes Reuven unique, Shimon unique, Yehuda unique, and I'll take this to the next step, which is actually every individual within those tribes also, by understanding what makes us unique as individuals, we also can focus on, within the framework of Avodat Hashem, what we're supposed to contribute on, as, as our, on, on our own as ourselves. That's how Yaakov Kamenetsky explains the different counts and why they're written in different uh, orders, originally in a more general sense, here in a much more particular, detailed type sense. That's Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky's Peshat. Now what I take away from that, which is, I think is a tremendous thing for teenagers, specifically dealing with teenagers, teenagers is a contradiction. One second. One hand, you're telling me that they, they want to fit in. They want to fit in, right? Beautiful, they want to fit in. But then on the other hand, they're acting in a certain way to garner attention for what makes them unique. Ultimately, what are they really looking for? What's driving them? They want to feel validated. They want to feel good about themselves. They want to feel that they belong, that they're doing something of worth. That's what they ultimately want to feel. That's the reality. So us as educators, as parents, when you're dealing with teenagers, I, I say teenagers, but it could be kids that are younger, adults that are older, the same reality. The first step is to tell them, look, you exist as part of something much greater than yourself. You have to realize that. Like Matan said, the Pasuk says, It says in the Pasuk, David right? 
It says Hashem counts mispar kochavim, the number of the stars, general number of the stars. That's the first thing. Stars exist in a framework of how many stars in the, in the millions. millions? I don't even know. Millions of stars, but they exist as part of that something glorious, part of a glorious group of something fantastic. But then the pasuk says lechulam. To each of them, they have a special name. Each one has a special name. Each one has a special tafkid. What's the pasuk right before that? Or the pasuk right after? What does it say? Right after. What's right after? No, so what's the pasuk before? What's the pasuk before? Right before. What's the pasuk? Before. What's the pasuk? That's the Fasik, exactly. Say it again. <laughs> Say it again a little. It says, <laughs> It says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu heals. He heals the brokenhearted. Thank you, Shalom Shaya. He heals the brokenhearted. What's the next word? And he causes to recover their sadness. How do you make that kid who's looking for the feeling to belong? He doesn't feel like he exists. So step number one is you have to tell him, Step. He becomes a black hole. A black there hole. you go. Wow. 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 Right. Silva. Okay, I'll try the fish. But the point is, is that kid, that kid is looking to exist. He wants to feel like he belongs to something. He doesn't feel good about himself. Step number one. You belong part of the Jewish nation. Every Jew has a portion of the next world. You're part of a glorious nation that has a glorious history that exists forever and has such a special relationship with God and is involved in the total service of Hashem. Step number one. You don't exist in a, in a vacuum by yourself. You're part of something wonderful. That's what the Torah is telling us. Step number one. You exist. Ah, beyond that. Now he says, okay, great, I exist. But what can I contribute? What can I? Well, first you have to know you exist in the framework of Avodat Hashem. You exist in the framework of Avodat Hashem. You got to clear. You don't just want to wear funny colors on your garments in order to on your clothing in order to get attention. Now you want to contribute to that overall service of God. You want to contribute in a way that's really meaningful. Let's figure out what makes you unique. Let's figure out what shevet you come from, who your father is, what skill sets you have that make you special that you can dedicate to the overall service of Hashem that you already understand. Let's figure out what your name is. Your name is your essence. Let's figure out what makes you special. That's what the Torah is teaching us here, an unbelievable thing. Everybody wants to feel like they exist, that they're validated. How do they get validated? First step, you're part of a glorious nation, far greater than you, that, and you're an integral part of that. Step number two, once you understand that I exist within that overall framework of God's work, well now how can I dedicate myself in a way that I possess special skill sets? Like we've learned many times, every Jew has a chilek in Torah, every Jew has a portion in Torah that he needs to dedicate to the world, bring out to the world, we've spoken about it many times, every Jew has a portion in the next world, every Jew has something special. Once you understand you exist in the overall framework of the Jewish people, then we have to figure out the next step, which is to understand, well what can I dedicate myself to within that framework that's meaningful, that only I can contribute and nobody else can. Any questions before we continue? So I want to just finish off with, with a couple of things. Sometimes, I, I know personally dealing with some kids or even adults for that matter, sometimes people look like they don't feel like they belong, they don't exist necessarily. What's a fantastic thing, and we have to remember, and I want to tie this in a little bit, with today's May 17th, right? Yeah, today's May 17th. I'm tied into something that's a personal little bit in this sense. Um, 
Jews have been persecuted for thousands of years. We've been persecuted, beaten, pogroms, holocausts, everything that you could imagine, inquisitions, uh, expulsions, everything that you can imagine, it's happened to us all the time. Any Jew that exists today after all of that and still goes and does what they're supposed to do, despite how hard it is and how difficult, especially in today's world, the challenge they have today, of course, the Chulam Shemot Yikra, what a mission that they're doing. I, this isn't exactly directly related, but I just wanted to tell you one little side point over here that uh, I wanted to make mention of. A little bit more to be makir tov, to say, May 17th, today is the day that I got engaged six years ago. So today is my, uh, my engagement. My engagement uh, so when we got engaged on May 17th, my wife's grandmother, who's a Holocaust survivor, she was very excited, because we got engaged, obviously, but also... She was very excited because May 17th was the day she said she was liberated from Auschwitz. May 17th, 1945. She said on May 17th, 1945, she was liberated by which army? American army. No, Russian. By the Russians from Auschwitz. Okay. Now, I didn't question it at the time, but I said, wow, that's an amazing, that's an amazing date. I'm happy they get engaged on that date. That's fantastic. Later, I did a little bit of research, and I realized that it's not true. She, uh, she wasn't lying. She just, she's, she's a hun- over 100, and she's, it's not true, because I looked it up. I found Auschwitz was liberated January 27th, 1945. So it was four months before, whatever it was. So I asked my mother-in-law, it's my, my wife's mother's mother. I asked my mother-in-law, what's the deal? She said she was liberated May 17th, but it must have been four months before. That doesn't make sense. So my mother-in-law tried to speak to her. I didn't want her to. I didn't want it to bother her if it was going to bother bring whatever. But but it's not like that. She's not like that at all. So she spoke with her, and it came out which we put two and two together. She doesn't seem so clear about it. Her paper shows May seventeenth, nineteen forty-five. Clearly, it says her name, and there's its official document identification. She was liberated a few months before. They only gave out identification papers a few months later. On May 17th, 1945. So that's what it says in terms of her identification. It says that, uh, I don't know if it says she was liberated on that date or it says that she was she got her identification papers, but it says, I see, May 17th, whatever it is in, in, in I guess in Russian, it's not May, but not May 17th, 1945. But to me, it struck a chord. Why did it strike a chord? Because, like we said, every Jew is important, and there's unfortunately been so many Jews that have been killed out throughout history. Unfortunately, so for those of us that Baruch Hashem are here alive and well and still have the capacity to do what we do, Avodat Hashem, serving God, doing meaningful and important things, we can never look at a Jew and say he's not important. We can never look at a fellow Jew. I mean, a Goy also we have to treat with respect. But Kol Shekin, certainly a fellow Jew, we can never look at a fellow Jew and say he's not important, he doesn't belong, he doesn't deserve the respect or dignity Every Jew belongs, and after every Jew belongs, they have a special avodah, they have a special service that only they can contribute within that total unit of the Jewish people. We have to recognize that. And as for me, it's a personal, this date is a very special date because, you know, if not for May 17, 1945, or January 27th, if I met my wife, who knows what would have happened, you know? Baruch Hashem, my wife's grandmother survived the war, and uh, she went through a tremendous amount, uh, hell on earth, you could call it. And despite that, Baruch Hashem, she went out, she came out stronger than ever. She built a beautiful Jewish family with children and descendants that were Shomrei Torah Mitzvot, which is something amazing, like, it's like Malach, and, uh, like an angel. 
every Jew is important. You can never look at a fellow Jew and not think to, and think to yourself, this one doesn't count. No matter what they do, no matter what they do, wherever they are, every Jew is important. Something so important to remember. So just in short, to recap, we're saying, the point is, is that whenever... The, the, the Torah first counts in a general sense and in a particular, so as to show us that the way we, ourselves, and also give over to students, young people, children, kids, adults even, first off, you belong. You're part of the Jewish nation. By, the, by definition, you exist. You, you're, you're important. You exist because you're part. Once we know you're part of the Jewish nation, then the Chulam Shemot Yekra. Let's understand what it is that makes you special, and let's actualize that. Let's put that into practice within the total service of Hashem. That's the answer, what it means in the kid, when it comes to this conundrum, when it comes to teenagers. And it's a tremendous lesson to keep in mind always, whenever you deal with people. Every Jew is important. We can never think for a second that one Jew doesn't have importance and doesn't uh, belong. Adkan.